Angie Rowan here with you on this beautiful Monday afternoon. And I have uh, Gary Smith, an author and uh, life coach and a uh, guy with tons of experience. And I very, sent me the book a short while ago. And um, and I, I was intrigued at the seven keys to, to conquering the Goliaths in our, in our life. And, and Gary, I was intrigued at uh, your comparison to David and Goliath. I thought, you know, life's not that simple, right? How could it be that simple? I'm teasing you now. Oh, yeah, but, you know, life, uh, you know, I often uh, joke with people that understanding how to achieve is simple. You know, doing it is not so easy. Yeah. I, I've got a couple of kids like that. They're great at telling me the plan. It's the implementation. And, and that, that that's really the challenge for all of us in life. I mean, I can say, hey, I want to do this. I want to improve my, 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 my physical being. I want to do healthier things. I want to conquer some fears that I have, whatever it may be. How how do you get from here to there? I, I guess I guess as a you know professional writer and author and so forth, how how do you, we're by nature we procrastinate. Um, by nature we don't want to work too too much. We want to stay in our in our little uh, comfort zones. So how do we get out of our comfort zones? How how do we push ourselves to succeed and, and establish our full potential? Well, I think it it comes down to being able to take action, and and action is really driven by one of two things: either pain or pleasure. You either have to create a strong enough desire in yourself to, you know, to really motivate yourself to get out there and do that. I mean, stop and think about it. When you procrastinate about things, what eventually gets you out of procrastination? It gets to a point where it gets so painful if you don't do it that you'll do it. That's a great, you know, I never thought that's a great analogy. So it's either it's either pain or pleasure. What's a, What's a greater motivator? <laughs> I, I, I think for most people, it's the pain. It probably is. I mean, I'm going to I'm going to procrastinate and not go see the doctor until the pain is too much. I'm going to procrastinate and not go out and look for a job till I can't pay my bills. Uh, fill in the blank. Yeah, it's it's really true. But the the thing that I find the challenge is why can't we do it the other way around? Right. You know, why can't we create such a strong desire in ourselves to achieve the goals that we've set for ourselves? Uh, why can't we do that? That positive self talk to enable ourselves to get to a point where it's the positive stuff in life that's driving us and not the negative. All right, so let me play the devil's advocate. I, I would say the reason we do that is that we're basically, I don't want to say the word lazy, but we want to take the easiest path. We want to take the shortest path. We want immediate results. We live in a microwave society where we throw it in the microwave and 30 seconds later we get what we want. Yeah, you get what you want, but does it taste as good as if you took the time to make the home-cooked meal? And can you make the home-cooked meal desirable enough that you really get out there and you want to do it. And and really what it comes down to is it's developing the discipline and the consistency. If you will force yourself to do certain things every day, it gets to a point where you can't believe in doing it any other way. So you, so I got to discipline myself to to do the routine, to set up a uh, a system if you will. Yeah, it's it's looking at it and say say you have a goal that's out there 5 years down the road from now. It's boiling things down to a point where you know what do I have to do today in order to be able to reach that target that may be three, four, five years into the future, and then disciplining yourself consistently. I, th I think a lot of times what happens is, is that we get a goal that says, okay, I want to lose 40 pounds in the next six months. Well, break that down. Right. You know, 40 pounds in the next six months means I have to do what today 
in order to get to that goal. And then how many pounds do I have to lose this week? Right. How many pounds this week? Is that the biggest pounds? failure when I was with my kids? They were like, I want to, you know, especially myself, I'm going to do X, which is way out there. And I'll have people that will come to me. They'll say, you know, I'm going to have a fundraiser for this event. We're going to raise a hundred grand. I said, that's great. A hundred grand. You're going to tell me how you raised the first thousand dollars or the first hundred dollars. And some do we, and, and do we set ourselves up for defeat or we set ourselves up for failure when that goal is so huge and so far out? Yeah, we do if we don't break it down. Absolutely. Uh, so when you say break it down, break it down in terms of time and goal? Yes. Take, you know, take the goal. You know, if you have a long-term goal, take that goal and break it down into maybe several medium-range goals and then into short-range goals and then into daily tasks. And when you look at it at the task level and realize, you know, gee, I only have to do one thing today and it's going to take me 15 minutes to do it's not like trying to eat the elephant all in one bite. It's taking the elephant one chunk at a time, and before you know it, you know you begin to see enough progress towards your goal that that becomes the energizing factor that takes you where you need to be. One of the things I've been talking about the last couple of weeks is that um, I don't know which co what co which comes first, but we're losing a lot of our liberties. In other words, the government's now telling us that this is you know I'm looking at an article right here. They're going to tax soda because they don't want us to drink soda in New Haven. The mayor of New Haven is going to put a new, wants to put a statewide tax on soda to stop us from drinking soda because it makes us fat. So government, I mean, they're the creative ones in the bunch, it seems, dreaming up all these stupid, crazy, you know, knuckleball ideas to take elements of our life away and control in our life. So I guess the chicken and egg for me, and I've been, again, I've been talking about this now for weeks, and I don't want to, I won't take it down the political path, but, uh, it, are we giving up our liberties and giving up our decision making and, and are we we becoming less empowered and becoming more entitled? I mean, I'm entitled to this. I'm entitled to that. So it seems to be a conflicting society that we're finding ourselves in. So what's your sense of what's coming first? I, I think that you're exactly right. I think we're losing a lot of our empowerment and uh, and definitely um, in the way we parent today. We're raising kids who who feel that they're entitled to uh, to many things. Um, but I think I think beyond that, I think many of, of of people in our country have forgotten how to think. They will sit down. They will listen to you know to whoever seems to be compelling on TV or radio, and they buy into what they say without stopping and thinking: is is this really true? And doing your own homework and doing your own research. You know, as we were talking about before, I mean, part of part of what you do is get people to think on their own and form on form their own opinions. Uh, but very very few people in their lives really stop to think about what's going on. I mean, stop and think about your average day. Uh, when you walk through your average day, how much of that, how, what percentage of your day on average is thinking versus just being on autopilot and doing a routine? You know, I, I, you probably don't know this. I have a blog. We think only four people have actually read it. But about a week or so ago, I was, uh, so, forgot what stimulated me. I know what stimulated me. I was watching Bruce Springsteen in 1986 at the, in the former Soviet Union doing a concert. And it reminded me in the last 25 years how uncreative we have become. We, we are the, the greatest country in the world. We don't make anything. We don't produce anything. We're, we, we're, we, we don't create. We're not challenging ourselves intellectually. And, and just to put some heat under us, the Asian nations and certainly India, in those countries with far less resources than we have, they're running circles around us. And if we don't believe it, just look into the classrooms in the United States where you have Asian and Indian kids, and they are far exceeding 
the the American kids. And I'm not. And here's the deal: they're not any smarter. Everybody, oh, they're smarter. They're not smarter. They they're more creative. There's a better work ethic. There's better curiosity. And so I, I guess I mean it's it's an oversimplification to say that we we've gotten lazy as a nation. But I would suggest that we we be, we've, we're replacing the creativity and empowerment with the entitlement. And, and that seems to be a slippery slope. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And and in addition to that, I mean, look at how we uh, look at how we get our entertainment and where our creativity comes from. I mean, kids today sit down, they watch TV, they play video games, and they have all this visualization. When I was a kid, when you were a kid, we used to read books, right. and and we got the ability from reading books to be able to paint those word pictures in our minds. A lot of that stuff is gone today because I don't know a whole lot of kids who really enjoy reading. And 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 the information, the visual, because we're all very visual. By, by nature, the visual they have is instantaneous. Right. And, and I can say anything to my kids and they can Google it in five seconds and have the visual and it's taken zero, except for spelling, it's taken zero creative juices or, as you say, uh, mental exercises to get to that visual. Absolutely. In fact, one of the things that I recommend to uh, people I work with in coaching is take a simple process. One hour a day, five days a week, 50 weeks a year, grab a blank piece of paper. On the top of that piece of paper, write down one problem that you're trying to solve and spend an entire hour trying to come up with as many ideas as you can for how you can solve that problem. Now, when you first start out, dragging your mind up and making it think is not an easy thing to do. Uh, the second thing you have to realize is that most of the ideas you're going to come up with aren't going to be any good. But what you do in that process, if you really concentrate and you really focus, is you you plant that information in your subconscious mind. And then as you go about leading your living your day, really good ideas will start to bubble up. And you can write them down, take action on them, and that's how we solve problems. But and you can't get to the good ideas till you stumble through a whole bunch of bad ideas. Exactly. I used to have this young kid that worked for me, and I'd say he's the most creative guy we had. He'd have ten ideas. Eight of them were disasters, and two of them were near genius. It was uh, it was it was great to have them in the room, but you had to have the patience to get through the eight dumb ones. But the creative juices were flowing. All right, we're going to open up the phone lines. I, th I think Gary Smith can uh, really have some fun with you. Eight six zero five two two nine eight four two. You know what's happening to the way we think? What about the next generation? Work ethic, personal responsibility, creative thoughts. Uh, have we become lazy as a society? And we'll talk about the seven keys to conquering Goliaths in your life. 348 WTIC News Talk 1080. Coming up on 352 WTIC News Talk 1080. And uh, Gary Smith, the author of uh, Achieving Unusual Success. And uh, what's your other book again? Uh, Shepherd and the Princess. Shepherd and the Princess. We were just ch chatting, and this ties into my blog that I did a week or so ago. And I mentioned Bruce Springsteen. It was Billy Joel concert in the so former Soviet Union, and and what what intrigued me was he was talking about these these people that were in line in, in the in the Soviet Union before the wall came down. They were in line for toilet paper, and he went up and talked to these people with his interpreter. They didn't even know what they were in line for, but they knew they had to be in line. And and my concern is that we become a nation. We are becoming a nation of getting in line. That we're, we're getting in line for the corporations are in line for corporate welfare handouts, the automobile industry, the banks, the insurance companies. Everybody wants a handout. Everybody wants to know what's government going to do for me. And so we're, we're, we're kind of slipping. I, I would call it surrender. And 
I guess the question I have for you, and it's not an easy one, is how do we get back? How do we get our mojo back? How do we get back on top? How do we get back into those creative juices? And, how, you know, in my, in my blog, which I asked you to read, how do we get hungry again? I, you know, I, if we continue going down the slope that we're on, I think we're going to get hungry pretty fast. The problem is, is that it may well be a too bad late when that happens. It's a bad hungry because, um, I, and I think the, the the problem is, is that too many people buy into the concept of big government that Big Brother is going to take care of you, and uh, that's that's just not the truth. Uh, so I think we have to spread the message out there to let people, you know, to begin to instill that individual responsibility that says, listen, the government is not responsible for making sure that there's food on your table and clothes on your back as the, you know, as the father and the mother in your household. That's your job. You get out there, accept responsibility, and beyond that, begin teaching that responsibility to the next generation and the generation beyond that. Um, I, th I think what happens is when we go back to like when, uh, you know, when my in-laws came to this country, they worked hard in order to provide for their families, and they were willing to do anything. They were willing to wash dishes, to do menial jobs, whatever was required to take care of their families, and they instilled that into their children. But a lot of times, I think what happens is you get the, the immigrants coming into the country, the ones who are willing to work hard and build the fortunes, and then they spoil their children, and their children will enjoy the fruits of mom and dad's later, but they don't pass that on to the next generation. And, and so it goes downhill quickly because they're, they, they lose that, that ethic and that responsibility being passed on from generation to generation. I was telling you earlier that, uh, you know, growing up in Waterbury, I, I knew a lot of Eastern Europeans and Polish people and now Albanians and so forth. And if you ever told anybody from a former communist country to get in line for, you know, and they had the, that storm a year and a half ago when everybody got in line to pick up a check because their, their, their hamburger uh, defrosted in the refrigerator. There were 23,000 people that were above the income le levels of people on food stamps that got in line, took the day off from work. That was so staggering to me to see these people, some you know, t hundreds and hundreds of state employees left work for the day. My point was to see people of means and not down on their luck, but they were able to go into their government and say, hey, you know what, I had $900 worth of meat in my freezer and I lost electricity for a week, and now I want you government to give me 700 bucks. And that's what 23,000 people did in Connecticut that, for the most part, were not qualified for any of the previous government programs. There's a, there's a number out there. The Census Bureau came out in 2011. There's 108 million people in the United States of America that are on some kind of subsidy, not counting Medicare or Social Security. This is means tested. This is... Uh, food stamps, uh, could be student loans even. Um, in most cases, it's uh, housing and so forth. And there's 108 million people working full-time across the country. So to me, we're at a tipping point. And, it, and I just feel it slipping away. And I see people lowering their standard of life in order to back into what government will provide for them. And, and they're losing their, their hunger and their incentive. And I, how do you stop it? I mean, what what are the red flags? What, are, what you know? How do you shoot a a, a a flare into the sky saying, "Hey, you guys, wake up! This is what's happening in our country." That's that is a difficult question to answer. Uh, it really is because you really have to. Again, it gets back to that personal responsibility and that desire to succeed and to accomplish because it's something I can do myself uh, rather than relying on somebody else. 
and that's what we've lost. You know, we we no you know, longer. You, you know, I think the greatest teachers are for us. You're going to laugh, and people have laughed at me when I've said this. The new immigrants that are here, legal or illegally, you watch these guys here from Mexico. They are out at the working at the landscaping companies at, at 5 and 4 and 3 o'clock in the morning. They'll work till 3 o'clock. They'll go across the street and they'll go into the restaurant and wash dishes from 3 in the afternoon to 11 o'clock at night, all at minimum wage. They will live with their siblings, their parents, whomever, their kids, on minimum wage and still send money back to Mexico. Oh, absolutely. And that work ethic is there. And uh, you know, and they, they are the ones who come in. And because of the backgrounds that they've come from, they look at America and they still see the land of This is still better. Uh, They're our you, greatest teachers, I think. Eric. Right. I, and I agree. You know, and it's like um, you know, one of the guys I listen to on the radio a lot is Dave Ramsey. And one yeah. of the things that Dave says is that you have to be willing to work like nobody else is willing to work so that later on in life you can live like no one else can live. I love it. All right. We're coming up on 358. Gary Smith is uh, in studio. And I will open up the phone lines. We wanted to set the stage. 860-522-9842. Are we becoming a nation feeling entitled have we lost our edge? Are we lost our creativity? And how do we get our mojo back? 406 WTIC News Talk 1080. Gary Smith, life, life coach, author, and uh, we're talking about a couple of his books. But we're, I'm going to take a couple of calls here, too. Let's jump over to Matt in Madison. Hello, Matt. Hi, guys. How you doing? Good, sir. Excellent. Gov, I just want to say great job with the program. Appreciate your views. Uh, I see eye to eye on a lot of your views. It's, uh, it's good to tune in to you almost every day. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that very much. Yeah. Uh, Gary, my question to you is, um, back in 2010, I got laid off from what I thought was a career job. I was with a company for 10 years, got let go on a Friday, and since then have really struggled to find a legitimate career path again. But now I am on the cusp of getting hired on with a real wonderful opportunity in a highly competitive sales uh, job. Um, you know, the opportunity itself is about as good as I could hope for. And my concern is I, I need to hit a home run with this job. I really need to make it work. And I haven't really set goals and not sure how to proceed in that manner, how to make sure I'm a real success. Uh, given the opportunity that's uh, about to start for me. Hey, Matt, I'll tell you what. We're, we're going to come up on a break in about 30 seconds. But you've asked a tremendous question. And, and I think that Gary's the kind of guy that can give you and anybody else listening uh, a how-to process, uh, you know, the steps of success and, and making sure you manage those goals. We were talking about it uh, off mic a few moments ago. So do me a favor. Hang in. Uh, listen in. And so, Gary, what we'll do is after we take uh, a break, because I want you to think about this. And, and I think Matt's a classic example of someone that, you know, needs to manage his goals, as you were just instructing me a few moments ago, instructing with a kind hand, I might add, that you have to make sure that you don't make the goal so unachievable that you're, you're, you'll never reach success. So when we come back, Matt, I want you to listen up. And uh, and I'm Gary, I think, will give us some, some really thoughtful ways to... Uh, Make sure that you're successful at that new job. All right, 408, 413 WTIC News Talk. And I've got Gary Smith in studio, author, life coach. Um, it was interesting, Matt from Madison just called, and you and I could hear the urgency in his voice. He'd been out of work for a while. He was getting a new job, and 
and he really wants to do great and and he was kind of asking for some pointers about how he can tee himself up for success. Well, well, first of all, Matt, um, you know, if you're still listening in, uh, of course, con- congratulations uh, on the new job. That's that's a fabulous thing. Um, I think the first thing you want to do going in is make sure you set yourself up for success and make sure that you clearly understand uh, what it is that you're being tasked to do in the job. Uh, you know, meet with, you know, meet with your boss and the management of the company, understand what goals they're asking you to achieve and, and make sure that you believe that those goals are achievable. Uh, just because you're, you know, you've been out of work for a while and now you're getting back into it, um, don't agree to things that you obviously are not going to be able to do or that are just complete, be complete unrealistic. Um, take the time to ask questions about, you know, how much revenue do you want me to generate? How many customers does that translate to? Um, you know, those sorts of things. How does things. it compare with past history and past successes? Exactly. Looking looking at the history so that, you know, so that you know, you know, if they're asking you to get 100 new clients this year and they only added three last year, you know, uh, that's that's setting the, the target pretty high. And once, you, once you're convinced that the goals are that they're smart, they're measurable, they're achievable, they're realistic, and, and you've got a good fr- time frame to achieve them in, then I think it becomes a matter of just you know developing the key performance indicators, you know, boiling it down and saying, okay, if I know that uh, based on company history, I have to make 80 phone calls for every two customers that I'm going to add into the mix of the of the business, yeah, and you need to add two customers every month, that means that you need to make 20 calls a week in order to be able to do that. So are you setting yourself up and measuring your progress to say, am I making those number of phone calls? Am I making the contacts that I need to make? Am I getting the clients that I need to get? And and if not, what am I doing wrong? Let's adjust and let's uh, let's stay on track. But it's following that and just really being disciplined and consistent about it. All right, let's go to Al in Vernon. Hello, Al. How you doing, Gov? Good, sir. It's nice to listen to you. Welcome. I'm not sure you're going to be happy about what I'm going to have to say, but uh, there'll be people listening to me and giving you some thought. I've been around for a long time, and I've worked my entire life. Uh, retired now, but I've accomplished most of my goals, so I, I don't re- really need much. But I look around and I, I see the politicians and what's going on in Washington and what's going on in corporations, and it all equates to greed, as far as I'm concerned, and it equates to power. Power and greed. It's almost like your car is worn out. Do you fix it or do you buy a new one? I don't know. We can't buy a new one unless we buy another country that's got a lot more money than we have. Because I'm not sure we can fix what we have just by voting these people out and voting voting new people in. Well, the, yeah, we I, don't the, know where to go. You know, the, arg- the argument can be that you know the politicians we elect are the politicians that are telling us what we want to hear, and it's kind of this vicious cycle, this treadmill, this track that we're on. So, I mean, that's a good point. Um, so, Gary, I'll, th- I'll throw it to you for a second. Um, you know, do we get the government we want, or do we get the government we deserve? I mean. Well, right now we're on the pathway to getting the government we deserve. You know, and we really, you know, my, my opinion is, is that we need to go back to the Constitution and start running the government the way the founding fathers intended it to be. Uh, you know, government needs to provide, you know, provide, you know, security for our nation, you know, and they need to enable commerce 
And other than that, they need to stay out of it. And like the Tenth Amendment says, they need to leave it to the states to deal with the rest of it. The um, getting back to Matt from Madison for a second, I, as I was listening to him, I can hear the sense of urgency in his voice, and and he, he's going to do what I would do if my boss says, "Hey, we need to do X, Y, and Z." No problem, boss. No problem. And I'd walk out the door and say, "How the heck am I going to do this?" So how do, you know? One of the problems is you know, under-promising and over-delivering, and that's part of the managing of expectations. It, it absolutely is, and that's where it comes down to, you know, communicating clearly to your employer that, hey, I want the business to succeed, and I know, want, I know that you want me to succeed in this position, or you wouldn't have hired me, so let's make sure that we're working together and we're setting everybody up to win. And everybody's got a boss, so he's got his boss to report to as well. 423 WTIC News Talk, Gary Smith in studio, a number of books, his latest book, Achieving Unusual Greatness. And I didn't want to prepare you for this question because I want I wanted to get your reaction. I was on Huckabee's show, I don't know, years ago, handful of years ago. And uh, we were chatting about, you know, hiring people and we were chatting about, you know, when we interview people for the local board of education, who's going to be the principal of the school, who's going to be your governor politicians and you're not a political person i need to underline that for our listeners and we we asked them all questions on positions tax policy this this and this and i said to my cockabee who's a good personal friend of mine i said uh, here's the question we never ask people um when we're interviewing them for a job or to do anything in a church or a school wherever it may be and the quest the magical question that i i think should be asked more often is what grounds you and, and and I'm intrigued by that question because I think when you ask someone that you that question that may be working for you or they're going to be the principal of your school, you'll find out more about that person than their position on social issues or tax policy or welfare reform. So what do you think of that? I mean, in terms of the employer-employee relationships, do you think is that an acceptable question for for businesses to ask people? Absolutely doesn't go over the line and it brings out a lot in a person doesn't it it, it really does and i think that as uh, as an employer you have every right to know uh, what foundation people are working from it's not that you're necessarily going to pass judgment on them for you know for what they do or what they believe or what their foundation is but uh understanding what grounds an individual i think is very telling uh, for who they are as a person and what you can expect of them as far as work ethic and attitude and how they're going to handle your customers. I mean, it's it's priceless. It's um, We were chatting off mic, and, and uh, I, I make the joke that if you're in politics long enough, we were talking about people in politics, and the previous caller was talking about we got to get rid of the bums and so forth. It's a very selfish business. It's all about me.com. It's self-promotion and then arrogance. And arrogance breeds arrogance. And and so what I think happens in politics and, as the previous caller said, there's corporate greed, there's political greed, so forth and so forth. Uh, and, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. And it becomes self-perpetuating in part because there is no grounding there. And if it becomes all about me.com, then only bad things start happening. Well, that's that's absolutely true, and, and we talked a little bit earlier about the shepherd and the princess, and and kind of one of the the background motivators for me in you know in in writing the book was to kind of debunk the myth that you know, that that personal development and personal achievement in Christianity are somehow mutually exclusive. Um, 
Yeah, and really what it comes down to is I, I think a lot of Christians believe that you can't be good at personal development because if you are, you're going to get sucked into the world's point of view and you're going to go down that secular rabbit hole. And, and really, the only difference, the techniques and the, and the systems that you use for achieving goals, whether you're a Christian or whether you aren't, are the same thing. It's, it's a matter of what your focus is. You know, the world says, the secular point of view says it's me, 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 me. It's all about what I can do, what I can get. And, you know, and the Christian point of view says it's all about somebody else. It's all about God. You know, and so the focus is fundamentally different. How do I balance all that? I mean, how does John Rowland balance? I, I want to feed my family and I want to be a good spiritual person. How, how do the, the balancing act is the challenge? Which master do I serve or can I accomplish both? Making it relative or making it balanced. Uh, I, you know, I, I think that your focal point has to be on God, uh, and that becomes the foundation of everything. You know, and you know, there's nowhere that I read in the Bible that says that providing for your family is a bad thing. There's nowhere in the Bible that I see that says being wealthy is a bad thing. You know, it's when it gets to a point where your focus shifts away from God, and and you be focused on money, and money becomes your God, then it's a problem idolatry and that becomes your grounding for us exactly <laughs> how am i going to afford the new fill in the blank exactly all right we're talking to gary smith in two books achieving unusual success and the other book is the shepherd and the princess the shepherd and the princess we'll talk about the challenges of goliath but more importantly we'll take your calls 860-522-9842 especially if you're uh, thinking of uh, maybe you maybe you're saddled with tough decisions and job issues and so forth 435 WTIC News Talk 1080. Gary Smith, author, two books in studio and uh, ready to take your questions. Let's go to Corey in Bloomfield. Hello, Corey. Hey, how you doing, John? Good, sir. Um, a quick, quick question. Uh, who, who is the guest today? His name is Gary Smith, author. He's a life coach, and uh, we're talking about uh, people getting jobs and, and how to uh, manage your abilities to get into the workforce and manage expectations now now one of the, the, the professional opinions I've heard from uh, somebody that I, I knew in Harvard I, I'm very big in on the introduction of, of aquaponics now uh, early, earlier today when we were on um, with uh, Pastor Will uh, today the, the conversation went from not only the Federal Reserve and all this other stuff but the big thing was was dealing with jobs yep now Dealing with education and stuff like that, um, obviously we have a, a huge workforce leaving the state. And obviously with, um, with the, the comment earlier dealing with Superior, I'm sorry, Supreme Court Justice Marshall, if you give taxes the power to the Congress, so to say, you have a, a destroying factor. So the other counterceptive to that would be farmers, food. If you give food to people, it gives them power. Right. Now, if you want jobs within a state, especially our state, we have a very rich soil, very rich water. Why, why in terms of food, especially with the GMO labeling bill that we passed that can't be actually produced because, obviously, the, the law can't be succeeded by the Commerce Clause between right. New York. To, well, I, I guess the short, the short answer is we started as an agricultural state. I mean, that's what we were all about, that University of Connecticut. So then once government gets involved, you have the subsidies, there's more acreage somewhere else, there's a better climate. And you probably know this a lot better than I do. There was a moment, I want to say, i got to think now, 20-whatever, five years ago. Um, I remember I was in Congress. It was the late 80s, early early 90s. And they had the dairy buyout where the government bought out dairy farms, and it's all about – 
you know, prices of milk and it's all about government intervention and so forth and so on. Matter of fact, um, I was, uh, if I, caught my, I was reading Breibart today and you're talking about agriculture, you're talking about the Fed, you're talking about taxing policy and Breibart, Common Core, how the left will grow its power in America's schools and it's Susan Berry column and it says in 2012, terrorists and activist Chicago professor Bill Ayers told his followers that that the left had absolute access to the community, the school, the classroom. And that's where the movement building should be. And they talk about um, about Ayers. Uh, of course, he probably wrote Barack Obama's book. Talk about him and the Secretary of Education, Arnie Duncan, speaking at the same event together. So Common Core Standards, don't, under, don't underestimate. How much that is governmental intervention in the education system to control that as well. So agriculture, business, education, the Fed, taxing power, everything slipping through our fingers. 860-522-9842. Gary Smith is in studio. We're talking about getting into the workforce, life coaching. We're talking about achieving success and greatness in life. So we'll take your calls. Mr. 445 WTIC News Talk 1080. We're with uh, Gary Smith, written a couple of books, uh, local Connecticut resident, and uh, he's been a life coach. And latest book is Achieving Unusual Greatness, has lots of corporate experience. Let's go to Ken in Colchester. Hello, Ken. Hey, Governor. How are you doing today? Good, sir. Welcome. Thank you. I wanted to ask your guest if he could give me some tips. I have an upcoming promotional exam at work. I'm a civil servant, and as part of that uh, process, there will be a oral interview, and I generally do not do well on those. I get very anxious and uh, uh, very nervous, and I wonder if you have any tips for that. That's a great question, Ken. Well, let me, before Gary jumps in, what do you get nervous about? Just that you're going to fail or that you're not going to meet his expectations? It's a process. It's, okay. uh, that, that's the biggest part of it, I think. Okay, that's a great question. You know, I just uh, you know, think you, you, you know what you know. Uh, and and you know go go with your strengths, Ken. When you uh, when you go in, uh, take the time. Uh, you know, do give yourself some positive self talk because this is obviously something you've been you know been doing for a while. Uh, so when you're uh, you know when you are are getting ready for it, just try and you know take a few deep breaths, calm yourself down. Uh, you know, believe in yourself, believe in your ability. And uh, you know, I don't know if you're a person of faith or not. It never hurts to say a prayer and ask the good Lord to walk uh, walk beside you. And, uh, and Gary, how about for homework? Uh, make a list of the good things he's done this year. I mean, it, the hardest question might think about. You know what? Can think about what the questions might be. You know right. what? You know what have you? You know, as I always like to say, what have you done for me lately? And so maybe making a list of of ten successful projects that you've had this year. Yeah, obviously not handing it to him, but making it making the list, reading it mentally, you have that not in a rehearsed way so much, but you have that as as part of your arsenal to respond. Yeah, and Ken, is this uh, is this the? I'm assuming this is not the first time you've been through this. So, do you have a sense of uh, of the kinds of questions that are going to be asked, and uh, or at least a general direction that it's going to take? If if so, write down the potential questions and and spend some time thinking about the answers that you know that you would give. Right, I see. Okay. And three, three final things. Be yourself, smile, and breathe. <laughs> and those will probably all help. You got it. Absolutely. I say that because in the studio here, you know, Gary, because you walked in, I call there's a seat out there, and people get interviewed here all the time for a variety of jobs. And as I'm walking out to, you know, go out to the men's room or something, I'll always see somebody sitting there very nervous, and they have what I call the interview suit on. It's the blue suit. Man or, man or woman. And I'll say, oh, you look like you're here for an interview. They're like, yes. 
I said, smile and breathe. I said, you look like you're holding your breath. They said, yes, I am. I said, so breathe and relax. I mean, it sounds crazy, but yeah. it's a very important part of it because that tenses you up. Well, another thing that I have always done in, in prior things when I've had interviews and things is to realize that they're interviewing me, but I'm interviewing them, too. There you go. 860-522-9842. Interview tips, ideas, life coaching, you name it. We got it right here. 454 WTIC News Talk. We're doing something a little different today. We're talking to Gary Smith, who's a life coach, speaker, lecturer, former corporate star and uh, so one of the things in your first book you talk about are the seven keys to conquering Goliath in your life and I, and I thought of that based on the, the Ken's last call and he was a little bit nervous yeah yeah we had you know, we had talked about that a little bit during the break and uh, and I you know I, I guess one of the big things is is just to look at it and realize that fear is a very natural thing you know especially when you're under when you're under pressure uh, it's perfectly okay to be afraid uh, it's not uh, it's not fear that's the problem it's what we do with it you know if we allow fear to paralyze us then it becomes our worst enemy but if we look at fear and and realize that we got to get past it and just take action and blow through it it goes away and and most of the time it's not anywhere near as bad as our minds convince us that it is so where's some of the key guidelines in, in your book with regard to uh, conquering the Goliaths in your life well the first one we just talked about and that is learning to deal with fear uh, the second one is you got to have a dream. You, know, you have to have a vision for what you want your life to be about. And and once you create that vision, especially when you're talking to your family and your friends about it, people are going to try and take it away. Don't let them steal it. Mm. You know, stay with stay with what you got. Um, you have to master the art of dealing with and overcoming negative people. There are going to be naysayers in your life going to you drag know, you down. That are going to drag you down. Ignore them and move on. Um, focus on your strengths, not your weaknesses. You know, use the use the skills that you have. And that's not to say that we ignore our weaknesses. We need to develop those and, and move them back up into the column of strengths. But but initially, anyway, focus on your strengths, not your weaknesses. Uh, don't be forced into anyone's mold. You've been created as a unique individual for a reason. You know, use and, and treasure that uniqueness. And uh, and the last one is act. Nothing happens until we take action. Uh, implement, act. Yeah, in, implement. Get out there and make it happen. All right, let's go to Mark in Westbrook. Hello, Mark. Uh, hello, how are you? Good, sir. I'd like to just, uh, I'd like to get your opinion and your guest's opinion on something that I've, I've been thinking about. I'd like to go back a few decades, okay? Let's just start in the 1960s. Back in the 60s, it's a fact that there were young people that didn't graduate from high school or go off onto college. And that's a fact. Do you agree with that? Sure. Go ahead. Okay. But they always were able to find jobs, especially, let's just take Hartford, for instance, because there were so many factories, be it the typewriter sure. factories. Yeah. So Meriden, Danbury, Waterbury. I got it. Everywhere. This goes across. Sure. We made stuff then. Okay. So there was always a place where they could go get a living wage other than minimum wage. Sure, they'd learn a school, a skill. Okay, and you can't fault, I'm not passing judgment that they quit school or didn't go to college. That's not the whole All right, thing. so keep going. Now go up, boom, 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 up to 2014 to where we are now. And it's a fact. There still are plenty of young people not graduating high school and or going off onto college. You agree with that? Yep. 
Where are they going to work? Well, uh, uh, let me give you the I'll give you the short answer and the long answer. The short answer is un unless they develop a skill and develop themselves of value, they're going to be flipping burgers. And to your point of going back to the 60s, you know, Waterbury, for example, was the brass capital of the world. We had four major industrial complexes that employed 10, 20, 30, 40,000 people. And you didn't need a high school diploma or, or college education to go in and work there. And in those days, I mean, you can become a, a great skilled laborer, worker, uh, obviously electrician, anything. The problem is all those factories that we had in Waterbury, even in Hartford, even in Meriden, the silver capital, um, Danbury, the, the hat capital, and the list goes on. We Here in Hartford, we had cult manufacturing, all the rest. So the, the bad news is those somewhat skilled worker uh, work opportunities are gone and therefore you've got to find the other skills HVAC uh, that kind that kind of work is really where we have to be focused 860-522-9842 Gary Smith in studio will answer any questions work life coaching you name it 5 WTIC News Talk 1080 John G. Rowan here with you and Gary Smith and we'll take your calls in a moment I want to do a couple of uh, Gary and I have been going at it here pretty good I wanted to um, give you some brief uh, couple of news updates um, I started talking about Common Core I would encourage you to go to the Breitbart and just check out kind of the, the interesting tandem connections between Bill Ayers and the, he's the activist from Chicago, the professor, big Obama guy, and interestingly enough, uh, he's, you know, it seems to have overlapped with the uh, Secretary of Education, Arne Duncan, who has been pushing these common core state standards. And uh, they are, in the article they talk about accuracy in academia came out, it's shocking that the Obama Education Department would appear, officials would appear at a conference with someone like Ayers. On the other hand, their boss, President Obama, worked with Ayers in Chicago, so forth and so on. Point is, this thing, uh, we didn't all just fall up the back of a turnip truck. This stuff doesn't happen by accident. This stuff is its premeditated. It's thought out. There's a plan. There's a campaign. And the teachers of Connecticut have been tortured with it. And it uh, looks like there uh, might be some changing ideas. Uh, next issue, I want to, Dan Har did an article in the Hartford Current. Tens of thousands uh, gun registration laws risk becoming felons. Everyone knew there would be some gun owners flaunting the law that legislators hurriedly passed last April. Um, but the figures are bad. By the end of 2013, 47 applications for assault weapons and 2004 um, ammunition were incomplete. I'm sorry, 47,000 applications were complete. And But here's the issue. Uh, the 47,000 plus is less than half of all rifles classified as assault weapons. So there is some real concern. And, of course, Mike Lawler's in the middle of it, and he... Um, he, if he has his way, he'll be uh, going out and finding you all. And he says, like, this is his quote, like anything else, people who violate the law face consequences. That's their decision. The consequences are pretty clear. There's nothing unique about this. The goal is to have fewer of these types of weapons in circulation. So there could be as many as 50,000 of you out there wondering what's going to happen next. And I have to entertain you with the uh, New Haven mayor, Tony Harp. She's been in office, what, three or four weeks with all the problems in New Haven, education, violence, shootings, the uh, the first initiative, she wants to impose a soda tax to battle obesity. She says a 2% tax on sugary drinks would reduce sales of the... You ready for this? In one breath, it's going to reduce sales of the beverage. 
you're not going to drink a Diet Coke or a Coke because it's a 2% sales tax. And you ready for this? It's going to bring in $144 million in revenue. Fat chance of that. All right. Um, we'll take your calls. 860-522-9842. Talking to Gary Smith, author, lecturer, life coach. Um, one of the questions I want Gary to address when we come back is, how do people start their own businesses? You see hundreds and hundreds of people in line for two jobs at Home Depot. So how do you begin your own business? How do we get through this economic misery? And uh, how do we keep our hopes and dreams alive? 508, Mr. Christopher, what's going on? That's right. They're going to charge soda now? What, 2%? 2%. Yeah, that would, that would so be like, like a, a... Like a big thing of soda is under a dollar. So you think people are going to stop yeah. if they even if they add two pennies to it? Yeah, it's 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 ridiculous. It's more government intervention. They can't... They can't how do they dream this stuff up? Aren't there, thing, aren't there bigger issues in New Haven? In New Haven? Haven? In New Haven? Way you bigger issues. It. Please. Yeah, so you're going to charge people two cents more for a big thing of soda. You think that's going to stop people from buying soda? Not even close. Come on. What's going on out there, buddy? What a joke. I-14, WTIC News Talk, 1080. So I'm talking to Gary Smith, and we're talking. He's written a couple of books. We're talking about uh, branching out. We're talking about trying to get ahead. How we get? How do we get jobs? How do we get through life? All the stresses of this economy. All right, let's go to Joe in the center of the universe. Hey, Gov. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. So I'm a young engineer with a young family, and I work for a large corporation. And I really don't like the whole corporate everything to do with working for a, a large corporation. Sure. I'm sure most people can understand what I'm talking about. So one of the things that I've looked into in the past was either starting or going to work for a consulting firm. And what I've found is that a lot of these larger consulting firms, like your Burns and Mac, you know, the people there are working lots and long, long hours. Um, and it's not, that's just kind of the culture, you know. Right. So for me, work-life balance is important. You know, I want to be able to be there to raise my kid. Um, how does someone go about starting their own business and being that small fish in the big pond and still be able to make a, a decent living for himself? Is it, is it possible, or should I just stick with the work-life balance that I get and uh, kind of not, not take the risk of, of branching out and doing my own thing? Good question, Joe. I'll, put, I'll have uh, Gary address that. Uh, Joe, quick question for you. What, uh, what kind of... Uh, uh, okay. He, was a man, uh, he said uh, engineering. He was an engineer. Yeah. I wasn't sure what kind of engineering he was doing, but um, in, uh, in looking at that, um, you know, what I would suggest that you do is test the waters. Uh, if it's something that you potentially like to do on your own, especially if it's in engineering and, and that sort of thing, is there a possibility that you can go out and start something part-time, you know, get a few uh, evening, weekend gigs, uh, you know, that sort of thing to kind of test the waters to, you know, A, see if your skill set is applicable to the work that needs to be done out there. Uh, you know, B, is it something you enjoy? And C, is, are the rates that you're charging uh, you know, something that uh, is going to enable you to, you know, to get into the marketplace and do stuff. Uh, work at it a little bit that way. And then, uh, you know, if you can generate a decent side income from it and maybe get enough money to be able to pay the bills for a while, then you're in a situation where you can make a decision about whether you want to jump ship and, and go full time or not. Um, other thing is, is are there other guys out there you work with uh, who are interested in doing the same thing? Because sometimes if you get a group of two or three guys together to, you know, to tag team it, it gives you an, a, a real good foundation to grow from you make a great point everybody that i know that's built a successful business and in waterbury and that's where i think joe is from um guys that were plater screw machine eyelid machine so forth and so on 
the point is that to think you can just flip a switch on Tuesday and leave the XYZ company and start the ABC company, it ain't happening. So you, what, you're, what you're coaching us through is a transitional process. If you can start something part-time, you know, without being disloyal to your in, present employer, um, but to take whatever your skill set is. Maybe it's different than what you're doing. I've got a friend who built an incredible company in Brookfield called Photronics, huge public company. He was He made pizzas at night. He was literally making pizzas at night. Dino Macrocostas is his name. He used to make pizzas at night, and he built Photronics, which was hundred million, you know, millions of dollar company. Uh, sold it and so forth. So your point is tran- you know, transition out feelers. Don't you know? Don't jump in the deep end right out of the box, but um, to go go sl- steady and maybe even in a part time way. All right, eight six zero five two two nine eight four two. In this economy, do you want to start your own business? How do you start your own business? Will it work? What are the magical ingredients? How do you stay focused? We'll answer all those questions and yours when we return. Coming up on 523 WTIC, Gary Smith in studio. We're talking about starting new careers, starting businesses uh, in this economy. You know, what do we do? I mean, do, the previous caller, Joe from Waterbury, he wants to jump ship, and, you know, he's got uh, interesting questions. Let's go to Dave in Farmington. Hello, Dave. Hey, good, Doug. How are you doing today? Good, sir. That's good. I am um, working on a business plan right now. Right now, I'm currently employed full-time, and I'm able to catch a retirement. And I'm working on a business plan for a uh, elderly transportation service. Um, and uh, to tell you the truth, the regulations that are in place, um, the business taxes, the um, insurances, in, in, in this economy, it's, it's not very good. Um, I'm not looking to get this thing off the ground at least for another two years to get my initial up- outlays done. Um, Connecticut does not support small businesses. They'll support a large business with billions of dollars in tax credits and loans for 20 to 35 employee growth in 10 years, which is does not make common sense. Right. If the state would, would um, give some help to the smaller businesses, looking to hire maybe two, three, four, five, or six employees, and let that build and grow. So, Dave, because- da- Dave, let me ask you. Well, Gary and I want to ask you a couple of questions. The first question sure. is: Is there a market? Is there a need for someone to do elderly care transport in your neck of the woods? I think there is, and the reason I'm saying that is because the population in this state is growing older. And some of them are taxed to the point where they can't afford to leave Connecticut. So there is there. And then, you know, we are we are a growing um, population. Uh, the majority of the services I've seen out there, they're very poorly run. The vehicles are in rough shape. Um, the employees make a poor presentation. So I, I think there is a market. And I think there is a market out there to hire maybe uh, up to 10 people. But here's the deal. You, you don't get in business to hire people. You get in business to deliver a service or to make something. So uh, I, I understand when you talk about make, you know doing the employment thing, obviously you're talking about how you get money from the state. So, Gary, let me. that's, I think, the dilemma we're facing in Connecticut. You know, I, I think Dave's point was I'm trying to convince the state I'm going to hire people so that I'll get money. That shouldn't be your first goal. No, the, the, I mean – the only the only reason to go into business ultimately is to make money. 
Period. That's what it's all about. Correct. And uh, and that is going to come through whatever product or service that you that you offer. And uh, and especially, you know, I mean, it sounds like <clears throat> uh, when he was talking, he was saying that you know there are other people in the area who are doing it. Maybe the quality of service isn't you know isn't what it should be. That sort of thing. So, you know, he needs to take a look at it and see. You know, number one, is it something? Can I run a financial model on it? And if you're really gut level honest with yourself, is it something that you can make money at when you figure you're going to have to pay the taxes and fees? That's just a just a given. Can you make money at it? And then the other thing is, is is there enough room? For for you in that market, or can you offer a service that is higher quality, better, faster, cheaper, uh, you know, whatever it may be, to be able to significantly make a dent by taking uh, taking business away from your competitors? That's the way you're going to win. And and do you have the skill set? I mean, you know, and I know, I can think of a dozen businesses over the years that were very successful. Many of these guys, they say, yeah, I worked for. Pitney Bowes, and then they went off and started their own little printing company. Or I worked for the ABC company that made uh, uh, pens, and then I went off. And so what they're doing is they're using their skill set, they're using their experience, and and filling a gap or, right. or meeting a need that they the bigger guys weren't meeting. Right. And if 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 Dave's hesitation was, I think that the population is getting older and they may need more transportation. Um, that's not a good market research. No, no, there, there needs to be more market research. Uh, and to what you were saying before, John, I mean, not only do you need to have, uh, you know, some of the skill sets, you know, if you can capitalize on what you've done in the past, and I don't know what, you know, what Dave was doing before. Um, the other thing you have to look at is do you have the right kind of personality makeup to be in business for yourself? Uh, there's some people who make great employees and they make lousy business owners, uh, you know, because they just don't have the right mindset to be able to, you know, to deal with that so you got to check that sort of thing too and say hey, am i really up for this challenge am i really willing to take the risk am i at a point in my life where i'm willing to invest all the time and energy and effort that's required to make this a going concern the um we uh, when someone i did some coaching and some some work with folks in a rehab program and talking about starting their own businesses and they begin the sentence with i've always had a dream too and i said that's a great dream and you should have dreams but if that dream doesn't meet the needs that are out there it ain't going to work all right, coming up on 528, we will open up the phone lines, 860-522-9842. Ideas on starting your own business, small business. One of the things Dave will realize, the government protects the incumbents, too. The system is rigged. So how, how, do, you, how do you blast into the business market in the state of Connecticut, and what are the ingredients? What's, what's, what are the magical ingredients to make it work? Gary Smith will have all those answers. 535 WTIC. And I see these ads in the newspaper. You know, they got three job openings at the uh, XYZ company and 900 people show up. Boy, that's got to be depressing. So maybe starting your own business is the way to go. Andy from South Windsor, welcome. How are you this afternoon? Well, sir. Your, I, I just wanted to make a comment kind of in rebuttal, I guess, to your last caller um, who indicated that it's hard. Yeah, it's hard to start your own business, but he didn't really seem to see support from the state. And I, I disagree with that, and, and here's why. I am a small business owner. Uh, I own a business in South Windsor that teaches people CPR, and we train first responders. I started that business 2010 as a result of getting laid off from a, from a corporate job. And since 2010, with the help of uh, Department of Economic Development grants, I was actually able to go from a, a business inside of my house to a business that I now have classrooms and I have 25 employees. Yeah, a lot of it's hard work, 
a lot of it's so but Andy, but Andy let, let me let me ask you two questions or make a point now let Gary jump in the first point with the the earlier caller was when we asked him I said what need are you meeting is there a need out there and and so my my question is when you're going to start a business you don't start a business thinking okay what do I need to do that government will give me money for versus is there a need out there now what you do obviously there's a need out there nobody else is doing it sure so regardless of whether government was involved or not the first and foremost position gary has taught me this in the last couple hours is that you have to meet a need yeah and, and there's certainly a need and we we like to identify that need more and more but you know i don't think there's also no substitute for for working hard and, and even though there's a need you still have to be able to identify and get to the people that have that have that need to show them that you have the product that's that's worth them coming to you as well. Of course, of course. Matter of fact, Gary and I were just sharing that. Uh, if you start a new business, you better spend what you say half your time marketing yeah, yeah, and half the, the time for producing. The, for the first couple of years, you're going to spend between forty and sixty percent of your time marketing until you get that clientele, until you find those people who have a need, not only who have the need, but are willing to let you fulfill that need. And, and Andy, you didn't you didn't go into that business because you thought government would give you some money. You went into that business because you thought there was a need for that. I that's absolutely right. But I think it's even further than that. My business grew because it was a program that enabled me to, you know, build the business maybe a little bit sooner than it would have been. Okay, able to. I'm for that. Yeah, and a local bank could have done it, or somebody's mother-in-law, and so forth. In this case, you got a sprinkling of the crumbs of some government support or whatever. I, I'm fine with that. All right, coming up on 538, we'll keep the phone lines open, 860-522-9842. Starting your own business, what are the ingredients for success? Gary Smith will answer those questions. 543 WTIC, and Gary Smith has been my guest today, and we're talking about starting new businesses, how to succeed in business, how to succeed in life. Brian in Hartford, welcome. Uh, thanks for having me, Gary. You bet. Um, I... Uh took over a family business two years ago in Hartford. Uh, I switched careers. I, I came from banking and uh, did a massive uh, career shift into a, a light industrial company with 10 employees. Uh, it was uh, needed a lot of investment, a lot of work, um, and I'm still at it two years later. But, uh, you know, we service um, municipalities and industrial companies we rebuild motors and pumps and things like that so i see a, a great need for it as the aging infrastructure continues to uh um fail and and need uh you know repair sure. uh so there's definitely a need for it but with respect to um getting any assistance from the state uh you know quite honestly i'd make them to stay out of my way uh, my taxes in Hartford are out of control the mill rates just out of control in Hartford um, the uh, you know you can't fire anybody if you have an employee that you, right. know, you have to get rid of it's impossible to get rid of them you have to lay them off because that's the path of least resistance and you have to pay unemployment tax forever it's uh, and, know, and, and Brian let me ask you this how many employees do you have now I only have 10 gov. Ten, well, ten, 10 is a lot. So now the question is, do you even know what your total health care cost is going to be next year for your 10 employees? And does with that uncertainty, does that help you decide whether you're going to hire one, two, or three more employees? Uh, no doubt. I mean, so I don't know the answer to that question. And what I've done is I put everybody uh, on an HSA so they can kind of, you know, 
funded themselves. I fund, uh, you know, a percentage of it. You know, I did a market. I had a guy do a market analysis for it. Cause I don't have an HR department. I don't have a. I don't have an insurance guy. I don't have an IP guy. It's me. Right. So I, I rely on, uh, you know, external people to help me with that, and I have to pay them a fee to do that. It's not cheap. You contract but, um, the service out. It service it out, but uh, you know, it's 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 a challenge because uh, to your point. Um, you know, the Obamacare thing is, uh, you know, I have no idea what I'm looking at. And I come up for renewal, actually, in April for my plans. And I already have my, my key employees asking me, what are we doing here? Right. Well, I, I don't have an answer for you because <laughs> I don't know. You know, so it's... And uh, you, have, you have any guys that are minimum wage or you, most of your folks are somewhat skilled? No, we're, we're, we're skilled. What I'm trying to do is create a, a bonus incentive plan based on their actual uh, helping me achieve yeah, get some metrics. Get some skin in the game. Skin in the game, because that's the only way I can keep the guys focused. Right. Otherwise, it's, uh, you know, I'm going to get the run-of-the-mill punch a time clock and look for them. Yeah, you need you them know. with some skin in the game. You need the you produce X amount of units. Guess what? You're going to get a little bonus. We're going to have a little commission structure here. That's right. And I can tell and I can tell what you bring to the table. You've got you said mortgage finance background. You realize you gotta invest some capital in order to survive and you have good leadership skills. Yeah, and I'll say one last thing. I've not taken a paycheck in two years. I'm gonna start shortly because we've turned the corner, but it, it's been a two year sacrifice wow. to get this thing going. And you know, I I had money in the bank for my last career, sure. not a doubt, but you know, there's been a risk and you know, you're, you're, on, you're taking a fly in. And how old are you, Brian? How old are you? I'm 45. Yeah, you're taking a fly on this baby. In the middle of your most productive years, this could go up or down, and and people messing with the tax structure and increasing wages and not knowing health care, all that stuff can make or break you. Uh, uh, agreed. And you, um, you know what? First of all, thank you for taking a risk. Oh, absolutely. I was I was sitting here as you as you guys have been talking, thinking, Brian, we need more business leaders like you in this state and across the country. If we had, you know, if we could clone you somehow, we would not be in the economic mess that we're in. And you're doing it well, without government. Stay I mean, out of my, my way. My wife would disagree with the cloning part, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. she would disagree with the cloning part and the no paycheck part. <laughs> hey, God bless you. All right, let me tell you. I hear more small business guys that you know and I know that. These tough economic times, they don't take a paycheck. And this is a this is a guy who's taking a fly in the family business. And, you know, if it works out, it'll be great. But it's 50-50. All right, coming up on 548, we'll 860-522-9842. You're starting a new business. Uh, what are your questions, thoughts, ideas, suggestions? We come back. I've got a couple of other fear issues that I want uh, Gary to address, things that scare us. 554 WTIC News Talk 1080. John G. Rowland here with you. Gary Smith in studio. And uh, Gary's written um, two books. And um, I guess the most important thing that I haven't asked you, and I feel terrible, I haven't asked you how you can get these books. Oh, okay. <laughs> that would be nice. Uh, everything uh, everything is available through my website. Uh, it's www.optex.com. That's Oscar, Peter, Tango, Echo, Charlie, Hotel, Sierra, dot com. All right. What was uh, the real initials again now? Because I've already forgotten. O-S. O-P-T-E-C-H-S dot com. 
Uh, and if you go in there, uh, you know, you have uh, several options for how you can order. Uh, you can order directly from the publisher. You can order uh, if you're looking for the Kindle version of the books. Uh, you can uh, you can order uh, from Amazon. There's a link there to take you to the to the page for Amazon. Um, we also uh, for the Shepherd and the Princess, we have a uh, a CD and an MP3. So Shepherd and the Princess is the first book, and the second book is uh, achieving uh, is achieving unusual greatness, timeless lessons from the trail already blazed. Uh, so you have the no. If I Google your name, will I get to that? If I Google Gary Smith, there's got to be, as I know, like five Gary Smiths. Google Smith. Uh, no, it's probably probably the best way to do it is to Google either Optex uh, or Optimum Performance Technologies, uh, and you'll find the uh, find the website there. So um, if you could give some hopeful advice um, to folks out there struggling across the board, either job, family, whatever, what what would it be? Don't let fear overcome you. Um, we talked about, you know, we talked about fear quite a bit today, and and fear can be your best uh, best friend. It can be your worst enemy. Uh, and when we get into situations, especially uh, for people who have been unemployed for a while, uh, you know, it's easy to give up. It's you easy. lose your confidence. Yeah, exactly. How do you get your confidence and mojo back? Is it, probably I would say replace replace worry with with uh, worship. I think that's uh, I think that's a very good starting point. Uh, yeah, we, we got to get back to the worry is the enemy of, of worship because exactly. if you're worrying, you're there's nothing productive taking place. Right. I, th I think it's a matter that people have to get back to the basics. You know what? You know what? You know, what have you accomplished in your life? Look back over your life and look at the things that you've done that have been that have been good and positive. You know the families that you've raised. You know the the, the good work that you've done and and take courage that you can do things. Um, you know, look at reinventing yourself if you need to. Look at what skill sets the marketplace is looking for and, and how you can go about acquiring those skill sets. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to spend a ton of money and go, you know, go back to school. I mean, we were talking before that there's a, a world of difference between education and learning. Uh, become a lifelong learner. You know, grab stuff and, and study every chance you get to better yourself. And then just get out there and keep, uh, keep beating the pavement. You know, keep talking. You know, the more experience you get getting in front of people, uh, and you know, and and showing them who show you are. Show initiative. Show initiative. I talked to a couple of employers, and they said, "Listen, we don't even post jobs anymore. If we post a job for a receptionist, we're going to get 600 people to show up. That takes so much time and energy." They said, "But the five people that take the initiative to come knock on the door, hand out a resume, or try to somehow get in, those five people are worth talking to, and for the most part, they'll find somebody worth hiring." Exactly. And, and the other thing, too, is, is don't be afraid to network. Uh, you know, get out there, talk to people, you know, ask about, you know, companies that they know of or businesses that they know of. And do they, do they know anybody there who might be a, a connection for you so that you can go in and talk to them? You know, get, get creative. There's got to be ways to do it. I've got a friend, Ted Pizzo, who is the ultimate networker. This guy has done more for so many professional people across, young people across the Hartford community. He's been unbelievable. He's, he's, a, he's a godsend. Gary Smith, thank you so very much. And, oh, John, um, thank you. It's been a pleasure. It was, it's been a little bit of fun. It's, you know, we, we don't want to do politics every day. And and uh, hopefully, um, hopefully some people out there said, you know what, I'm inspired. I'm going to go out and get back at it. Thank you so much for being inspiring. Thank you.